Um, I had a person ask me the other day, do you teach the Bible? And I was like, yes, we teach the Bible. Matter of fact, we've been in the same book for 13 weeks. And we've been looking at the book of Acts and what made that a dangerous church in a good way. They impacted their world. They changed their world. And I want to pastor a church like that. Amen? That helps its community. That helps people. And so we've been there now for 13 weeks. So we're going to be in Acts 12 today. So turn your Bibles there or your copy of God's Word. If that's your iPad, your iPhone, whatever is good for you. And as you turn down to share this with you, we live in a skeptical America, right? I mean, people are just skeptical about everything or anything that is free or good. A matter of fact, I worked for Workforce Solutions when I was in Florida. And what we did there was I actually helped people who got laid off get retrained. Now, I don't do that here, so if you call, I'm not going to have to help you here in Virginia. But in Florida, that's what I did full-time while I also pastored. And we had this thing called on-the-job training. Now, if you're a business owner, this is like a dream come true. Because if you hire one of our clients that's been through our program that's, that's going through, we'll pay half their salary for three months so you'll train them and then keep them. Is that a deal? Yeah. And here's the thing. There was no, no, no attachment after that. After three months, 90 days of training, they're done. And that's what I had to do was go and pitch to business owners. Say, hey man, you know, this is what we have going for you. You know, we're, we're going to be doing this training. And you wouldn't believe how many people like, click, not interested, click. Doors shutting faces. Um, yeah, we don't want to get tied up in all that, all that red tape. There was no red tape. But because they were skeptical and many other reasons, they shut the door on something that could have helped them. And this morning, what I want to do is share with you, while we shut the door on God sometimes and his blessings and his miracles that he wants to bring in our life. And I think Acts chapter 12 gives us a beautiful picture of that. And this morning's message is entitled, Don't Shut the Door. Look at Acts 12, 13. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda, I actually had a lady in Florida named Rhoda in my church. I should tease her all the time about this. It's like, girl, don't you shut the door on God. A girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Let us pray. Father God, again, we just worship you this morning. Uh, we've come today to refocus on you, to refocus on your blessings, to refocus on your goodness, to refocus on the cross of Christ where everything was done for us. God, I pray that you would help me to speak this message. And God, if there's anything that's not of you, let me forget it. Uh, make it invisible to my notes here. And God, I pray that as everyone leaves today, God, from this word, that they would have something to help them grow closer to you. We thank you and we praise you for your written word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, to catch up here in the book of Acts, we've been going through the book of Acts now for 13 weeks. So, if it's your first week with us, let, let me give you, or if you've probably been here, you probably don't remember either. But let me give you the breakdown of what's happening. I told you, remember in Acts 3 and 4, the Jerusalem church was the center. And Jerusalem was being impacted in the first century. You know, Jesus rises from the dead, he ascends, and they start impacting Jerusalem. And that's awesome. Jews reaching Jews. 
3,000 get saved in one day. Great things are happening. But the Jewish leaders see that what they called the way, which we call uh, uh, Christianity, I like to call us believers or Christ followers, these, they, they see that this is a detriment to their traditional Jewish uh, teachings. So the Jews begin to imprison and beat their fellow Jews who are now Christians. And so they go after them, that they beat them. We see that Stephen gets uh, stoned to death. And again, that doesn't mean he smoked a lot of stuff. It means there's actual stones that were thrown at him. Uh, and I say that because I had a student who was like, man, I mean, this student came to me when I was in youth ministry like, he got stoned to death? He didn't know what that meant. I'm serious. I did not grow up in church. And so that's the language we used to use. So what happens is he gets stoned to death and Saul stoned him because Saul thought he was doing something good for the Jewish tradition, for Judaism. But let's continue now. The church continues to have favor. It continues to grow in persecution. I told you you're going to face suffering. You're going to face persecution in life. And you've got to realize God has a purpose for it. But now we get to this point. After Stephen was stoned, they all spread and they were preaching to the Jews. But last week I showed you, now they begin to preach to the Gentiles. Who are Gentiles? That's me and you. Uh, tap your neighbor and say, that's who I am. Okay, just so you do that. That's who I am. And so now I want you to realize something very strategic happens. No longer do you see the Jewish leaders really mad at them, you start seeing national leaders mad at the Christians. Well, why is that? Because now they're posing a threat. You hear me here? They're posing a threat now to Rome. And the Jewish leaders are like, hey guys, look, these guys here are going to take out Rome next. You watch. They're growing by numbers. And so let's catch up the story because what happens is Peter is captured and he is put in prison by Herod Agrippa. And I'll explain the history to you in a second in Acts 12. But very important to note, now it's a national thing. It's not just a Jewish thing as they begin to grow. I want you to look in Acts 12. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there to Acts 12.1. And I have four reasons why we shut the door on God. Four reasons. And you'll see this from this passage here. While we close the door on the blessings of God when God wants to intervene in our life. Look at point one in your notes. You can write this. Hardship often makes us shut the door. Hardship often makes us shut the door. Look at Acts 12.1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to further seize Peter also. Remember James, Peter, and John were the big three. Peter, Jimmy, and Johnny. They were the ones who ran Jerusalem. Now it was, who actually ran the church, excuse me. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. That's Passover. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him. That's a lot of men for one man, right? It's like this guy was... Uh, you know, like die hard or something, man. They didn't want him to get out. Intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Now look at what's happening here. Herod Agrippa I captures Peter. He just kills James, okay? Uh, historians will tell you that it was better to be Herod Agrippa's pig than his son. Because he killed several of his sons because he just didn't like them. 
Herod Agrippa was the most evil ruler of that day. And as you read and you saw in the book of Acts there, he got eaten by worms. I'm not going to be able to teach on that today. That's very interesting there. But Herod Agrippa was very evil. So what he did, he killed James, but then Passover happened. That's our Easter season. Okay, that's what we call resurrection. It's Passover coincides. Same thing as the, the Jewish uh, teachings there. Passover happens. And here's what they said. They said, we're not going to kill Peter on Passover because it's a religious holiday. Now, put on your Bible scholar hats for me real quick. There was some other guy that we know very well that was killed during Passover who was crucified. What was his name again? Jesus. Wow, okay, so now they're not going to do it for Peter. But it's funny how the Lord was in control of this situation. So they decided to, to wait till afterwards. And friends, let me tell you, it looked pretty bad for Peter. I mean, James just got killed. He's one of the leaders. This is the guy that you did ministry with. You served with Jesus with for three years. And, and he was one of the leaders of the church. And now Peter gets captured. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you got a lot of faith. But I've been like, man, that's it for Peter. Let's go ahead and get the gravestone out. I, I don't think he's going to make it out of this one. Herod's pretty evil. And what happened to Peter, it was the greatest hardship he probably ever had to face. He was caught by Jewish leaders and put in jail before. That was nothing big. But now it's the national leader, Herod the Agrippa. And for him, he had to face hardship. And guys, that happens to us. It's when we get the news, the overwhelming news of the doctor's report. We get the news that they're going to lay off at our job and, and we don't have anything on the horizon. We get the news that our spouse has been cheating on us. Or we get the news that our child has been, uh, for some of you older children, arrested. Things have happened. And you get that news. And you have hair to grippers in your life that cause hardship, right? We, we have things that happen like that. And if you'll be honest... Those things have probably happened to you in the past few months. You've had Herod Agrippa to step into your life. And I, here's what I've found is that hardship often makes folks turn away from God. It's during hard seasons that we give up on God and we give up on the plan that God has for us. And we say, you know what? If that's the way life is going to be, God, I'm not going to serve you. It's kind of like a detour. Have you guys ever been on a detour? I hate detours. You know why I hate detours? I like the fastest way possible, man. The quickest way possible. Uh, the bad thing for me is where I live at, the parkway is the quickest way possible, but they charge me 70 cents each time I go through, so I can't take the quickest way. But I get mad at detours. I'm like, man, I, I almost, man, I, I need Jesus during detours because I'm getting upset at them. But you know that God gives us detours in our life? And you know, detours are, are important because when there's a detour that happens, it's to help you. It's not to hurt you. It's like, say there's a road that's out up there. If you kept going and you went around the detour, and you're like, man, I hate this detour. And you get up to it, you could get killed or hurt. And so God will sometimes, he'll see something in your future that could hurt you and he'll give you a detour that looks like hardship in your life. I remember back in my younger days when I first started driving, I didn't know what all that meant. So I would actually drive around the detour or around the big roadblock that says do not cross, I would drive all the way up to where you couldn't go any further. I was like, oh, okay, they're serious. <laughs> um, I just wanted to, to see. And the Lord does that so you won't run into potholes or be hurt. The other thing is this too, there's usually a wreck, a very dangerous wreck that has hurt people and it can hurt you. 
I was on the interstate one time where there was a wreck and they'd actually spilled chemicals everywhere and they were having to shut it off for miles on each side and I was like man I can't pass by there you know I've got to go all the way out of my way I was late for work but it was to protect me and friends realize God may send you on a detour because there's people that you may come in contact with that will ruin your life and God says I, I don't need you there I actually need you to go all the way around here because I don't want you to get caught up in that mess there so I'm going to give you a detour but it's in those times we often give up if we'll be honest I had a um, uh, in Florida we had an addiction recovery pastor this young man had such great vision it's like I had lunch with him like we met by a total divine appointment guys total and I met this guy and we had sushi together and he was just we had read the same books same heart I was like man this is God you remember I started a church with nothing down there so we met he had this big vision here's here's his vision to buy a, a rent a house and have men who are in addiction recovery to live in that house and then he has a loan company they're gonna work for to pay for the house and they get a six month to a year program where they don't pay a dollar that's pretty good right well, he got it going. I watched him from ground up and it was, it was great, man. Um, I, I was teaching Bible study there throughout the week and teaching these, these men in addiction the Bible. I was so excited. And he had some hardships begin to hit him. Right before he was getting ready to do a fundraiser to raise a million dollars, he had a lawyer firm behind him ready to give him that money. Right before that happened, he had um, some hardships happen to him. Number one, the guy who he put over the house um, was bringing the guy's beer at night and they were drinking and throwing all the beer up in the uh, the attic so these are addicts now these guys I mean it's like it's like wolf's like wolf drinking blood it's like they taste beer it's like they're like crazy man and so I mean they're, they're just all the time then they're driving his equipment drunk during the daytime I mean it, it was getting bad and not only that he went over one night and he the guy who was doing that he actually fought the guy in the yard it was crazy um, I, had to, I had to pray for him after that um, he laid hands on him, but it wasn't in the, the biblical way. And it got so bad to the point where the guys after that pawned all of his stuff. Everything. Actually, I had stored some stuff there. My, all my wife and I was camping equipment. We stored it there, and they pawned all that too. So we were pretty upset. Three, four hundred dollars worth of stuff. He was so mad. He was so hurt. He, was, he went through such hardship that he gave up. He gave up. He stopped coming to church. Today, well actually, um, I, I was reading on Facebook and he ended up going into the woods and living in the woods while he was got back on crystal meth. Um, he lost his wife. His wife left him. Said, I, I'm not doing this. He went to her house and he destroyed their house. Beautiful house in Florida. Took a hammer and beat it. All the granite countertops. He, he, he spray painted the inside of the house. It was absolutely terrible. And he gave up on the plan of God just because he hit a hard time. He let those guys in that house pawning a thousand dollars worth of stuff send him down a path that he shouldn't have been down. And if he would have realized, and I tried to encourage us, like, man, you just realize, man, that, that you're going to go through this. That, that you have something great God wants to do. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I understand, man, whatever. And he didn't get it. But I want to encourage you guys. We will all face hardships and unexpected detours. We will all face that. You've got plans right now that you want to do this and do that, but God's going to give you a detour, not because that he hates you, because he loves you and he has a great plan for you. And I don't care what you're going through. You have to keep in mind that God is able to bring me through this, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how big Herod Agrippa looks, no matter how bad he looks, God can get me through this. I read this this week. It was Philippians 1.6. 
What he started, he will finish. And some of you guys need to grab onto that. And every day you need to, to tell yourself that and tell your spouse that. That if he started it in you, he will finish it. Amen? If you're not going through anything, that scripture means nothing. It means a whole lot to me. It helps me out day by day. Peter, it looked bad for Peter, right? Herod Agrippa. There's a show I like called Sports Nation. Has anybody watched that? I, I don't know of any sports fans that come to this church yet that are as big as I am. But Sports Nation is by Colin Cowherd. And I love Colin. Love the herd. I listen to that when I can. But Sports Nation is interesting. Because what they'll do is they'll poll who you think is going to win that week. So if you have a really good team facing a really bad team, they're like 1% and they'll show you the area of America believes that this team will win Well, they believe that 99% believes this team will win. If Sports Nation could have polled Peter's situation, they'd been like, yeah, 1% says he's going to get out of here. It looked that bad because Herod Agrippa was that terrible. But as we continue to read the story, we realize that God intervenes as he, as he always does in our lives. Look at point number two. Reasons we shut the door on God's blessing. And we'll look at verse 5. We'll continue reading verse by verse. You doubt that it can happen for me. Doubt that it can happen for me. That's another reason we shut the door on God's blessing. Look at verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Verse 8. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. So he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real. I want you to look at that. He did not know what was happening was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. That's pretty awesome. And when they went out and went down the street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Verse 11. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. First of all, before I move on to this point, they were in constant prayer. That word in the Greek there, constant, or the King James earnest, it means stretching out. A stretching out. It's like if you're playing sports and you stretch out for something, it means you're exerting more energy to catch the ball or to do that, right? It means that they were literally stretched out in prayer. They were stretching themselves, praying earnestly. This does not mean they were praying like a knot on the log. Yeah, God, if you happen to do it, yeah, please just let them out of prison. I mean, these guys were serious. They were praying. So I want you to realize that, that God moves according to prayer. Sometimes we have to stretch ourselves out in prayer to believe that God's going to do it in our life. It's the same word, check this here, the same word that's used in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is praying and he starts bleeding and sweating. That's that type of word, the same word that's used there. I want you to realize this. Peter had to come to himself. He didn't realize this amazing supernatural deliverance was happening for him. 
you catch him here you follow me he didn't realize that that this was actually happening for him he was sitting there like whoa he was like Keanu Reeves man is this really happening for me and so many times in our lives when God wants to intervene and do things for us and meet us, we don't believe that it will happen for us. Sometimes it's easier to believe for other people, isn't it, than it is to believe that God will do it for us. We doubt that it can happen for us. And, and I jotted down a couple of things here. Uh, a few of the reasons, you can put these in your notes, why we doubt that God will do it for us. We believe that God shows partiality and he bases his blessings according to good works. Isn't that why it's so hard to believe sometimes that God would do it for us? Well, I know he'll do it for, for Jordan or Pastor Elise. Man, them guys love Jesus, man. They're like always praying. They're always doing the right thing. But me, I, my act's not together. And we think that. We're like, well, you know, God blesses those people, but he can't bless me because I'm not good enough. And somehow in Christianity, we believe that if we're good enough and we do enough and we act good enough, that God will really do great things for us, right? Inside. But if we're not good enough, he's not going to do that for us. Let me help you understand the gospel real quick. Because a lot of us hear things from preachers and we hear things on TV and we don't understand the gospel. Do you understand the gospel means that you weren't good enough? There's no way you could make it to heaven by your works unless you're perfect. And if you're perfect, please let's hang you on a cross and see if you get up three days later. I mean, the gospel in itself levels the playing field. You've got to understand that when you receive Christ as your Savior, that God no longer views you as you, but he sees Jesus when he looks at you. Why? Because you're in Christ, and Christ is in you. It's called union and communion in the Lord. And sometimes we don't understand that. We think that God judges us according to our resume. We're like, yeah, God, that's what I've done for you. Yeah, bless me. You know what really gets me is when we're praying for somebody and we're like, oh God, he's been so faithful to you for so many years. We pray that you would just touch him because he's just done so much for you. God does not heal us or bless us or do things because we were so good to him. He does it because he's so good to us. And Jesus is good. You don't have a resume in the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact... You can't come to God saying what you've been and what you've done and how good you are. The only resume that exists in the kingdom of God is Jesus' resume. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. That's what it means to have imputed righteousness. See, you have two choices, friends. Works righteousness or imputed righteousness. And if you want to try to work and get yourself to heaven and come to church and do a bunch of stuff, then do that. But a lot of times we don't believe God will do it for us because we're not good enough. Newsflash. And you can leave after this point here if you want to. If this is Because this, I think this is worth it in the message. You'll never be good enough. That's why he had to send Jesus. That's the gospel. Here's the, the second reason. Uh, we have a small view of God. Sometimes we, we let situations get bigger than God in our life, don't we? We're like, man, God, we know you're great, we know you're good, but man, you know, this situation is pretty large. And so we let the nonstop pounding of life shrink the view of God. And here's the other one I, I jotted down as I was just thinking through these. One of the reasons that we doubt it can happen for us is unanswered prayer. Now, maybe you get all your prayers answered, and every time you pray for somebody, they get healed, and they get up and walk, and you always have you know, thousands of dollars in your bank, and everything's all right with you. If that's you, then, uh, you know, then, man, God bless you, and I want you to teach us how you do all that. But I don't know a human being that's that way. And you know what happens in life is that we think 
we're not seeing answered prayer and we give up and we shut the door on God. And, and, and as I said last week, you've got to believe that God is always working. God is always moving. He's always active. And even though you're not seeing the answer right then, you're like, man, I don't see it. I don't know where it's at. You've got to believe that God is working in that situation. Don't let seemingly unanswered prayer get in the way. Don't try to figure it out, but say this. God's will stands, and I will stand firm that he is on the throne. You know what John Wimber from the Vineyard Movement said? This is awesome. They said, well, John, when you're praying for people to be healed, what if somebody doesn't get healed? He says, I just pray for the next one. You just keep moving in it. You keep moving it. Don't, don't let seemingly unanswered prayer or those things stop you from moving forward in the grace of God. You've got to understand God's grace, that he can do it for you. You've got to understand this, man. And this is how I pray. God, if you could do it for Paul, you can do it for me. Lord, you led Abraham when he didn't know where he was going and he went out by faith and you're the same God that I serve that's over Abraham and I believe you can lead me and you can guide me to where I'm going to. Uh, Lord, you know, Joseph was in prison and you were with him all the time and God, if you're the, the same God, we serve the same God that Joseph served and I know that you can sustain me when I feel like I'm in a prison and you can help me be faithful in this circumstance. See, that's the type of mentality we've got to have that God if he did it for them he can do it for us he doubted it could happen for him he had to come to himself here's the third point this morning look at verse 12 we are not expecting it we are not expecting it this is okay so far all right this is all I got so if it's not good we're in trouble this is all I have prepared we are not expecting it Look at verse 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary. That's Peter. He just got released, remember? The mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Most scholars believe it's the same place they gathered in the upper room where the 120 were gathered at was, was, uh, was, was Mark's place there. Verse 13, as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. She kept insisting that it was so. So they said, ah, oh, it's his angel. We're not expecting it. These guys were not expecting it, even though they were praying. They were gathered together, praying for Peter. He shows up at the door and they're like, no, no, that's not Peter. That's got to be like his angel or something. And remember the, the Jewish tradition, they believe that everyone had a guardian angel. That's where we get our, our belief from as Christians a lot of times or our, our thoughts on that. I wouldn't say that it's a doctrine, but we believe we, we have a, a guardian angel or two. But the Jews believe that you look like your angel. Now, biblically, it does not say that. That's just what they believe traditionally. So they thought, well, that's his angel. That's not him. They were praying but didn't expect Peter to show up. And let me just say, as I was studying, and this is the way I look at the Bible, I was like, yeah, but even if his angel was at the door, open the door, dude. I mean, it's why I was like, yeah, there's an angel to the door. I was like, man, I got to see this. But they didn't open it. They didn't expect that Peter would be released. And that strikes me as being funny there. But a lot of times, we don't expect it either. And please hear me. Clap on. Because if you check that, I don't you, I don't want you to hear. Here's what I'm not saying: that if you don't expect it, God's not going to show up. Right. I've heard preachers say that. If you're not expecting, God's not going to show up in your life, and you're like, "Oh, I got to expect. I got to expect." They weren't expecting it, and God showed up. 
See, a lot of things you hear from the from preachers, man, that I've heard, I just the stuff I've heard, it ain't it ain't biblical. You've got to be expecting a God. God showed up and they weren't expecting it. But I know what I think what the problem is this. We worry our prayers to God. I like James uh, chapter 1, the Message Bible. And it talks about, you know, uh, pray in faith and don't, don't doubt. It says, stop worrying your prayers to God. And so many Christians are that way. They're like, oh God, I'm worried. Some will pray. Oh, I'm just so worried. Some will pray. And I'm going to tell you, you will not partner with God if you live in that type of mentality where you're always worried all the time. Now, circumstances will drive us to prayer. But being worried all the time will cause you to miss what God wants to do. And it says in James that you won't see answered prayer if you're always worrying your prayers or not praying in faith. But here's the deal, man. Here's what I've seen. Our greatest problem is not that God doesn't answer prayers. It's that when he does, we're not even aware of it. And we're complaining about the next thing that we need in our life. And here's what I've done to help solve that. I journal my prayers. I write my prayers down. When I was in Florida and we started that church from scratch down there, the one that I'm helping oversee right even today, when we got there, I started a diary on my computer. And I would write what was happening. We're turning it into a book I'm hoping to release next year. But I would diary what was happening, what God was doing. But I also journal prayers. I'd write down, Lord, this is what we need. You know, we have three people in a house and we're going to launch a church. And we need X, Y, and Z and all this stuff. And it was amazing because you'd see the prayer. And then you'd look a couple, couple weeks later, a couple days later, and the prayer was answered. And I can look back and say, God, it's so awesome that you were so involved in that situation. But I'm telling you, I see church planters all the time that don't journal their prayers. They, they don't write down prayer requests before God. And when God does it, they're already worried about the next thing that's coming. And that's what, what we do a lot of times. I know that's, that's what I do. So I begin to journal. And I, I, let me say this here. Faith is wrapped up in expectation. And that's why the greatest act of faith is preparation. If you really expect God to move, prepare for it. If you're single and you're like, man, I, I, I want to meet that person, then stop trying to find that person at the bar every week. It got very quiet in here. If you're single in here, you're like, man, I, I want to find the right person for my life. And I believe God's going to do it. Then prepare yourself for it. Comb your hair. Brush your teeth. Iron your clothes. Come on, man. Prepare yourself for what God wants to do. Now, I'm telling you something. Before I ever met my wife, before I ever met her, I was preparing for her. And I knew this. I said, man, I'm bald. I ain't very tall. I'm from Turkey, North Carolina. I ain't got a lot to offer. But i tell you what, I'm going to be on fire for God. And the person that I meet, the lady that I meet, she's going to love me because of that. And I just dug myself in the Word of God. Let me tell you something. When you take care and you look after God's kingdom, you're like, man, I'm just focused on the kingdom. God will bring the things that you need. A lot of times we get so focused on everything else. But prepare yourself for it. If you're looking for that job, if you're looking for that job, prepare yourself for it. If you believe God's calling you to do something, people who feel they're called to ministry, prepare for it. Because that is expectation. The people were not prepared when Peter showed up. They were still worried. They were still worrying their prayers to God. Listen, Noah built an ark when there had never been rain. He believed. He expected. Abraham expected that he would have a child. And he was still trying after 90 years old. 
He was prepared. He believed God. And Joseph believed God that God would bring him into his dream. So he continued to be faithful even when he thought God had forgotten him for 13 years, man. Throughout the Bible, people believe and prepare according to the word of the Lord. They believe God would show up. And guys, don't shut the door on God's blessing because you're not expecting it. So I'm telling you, that's when God shows up. Like, I had no clue that would happen. And then God does it. Here's your, your final point this morning. Point four, and look at verse 16. We give up too early. I probably, probably should have put way in there. I don't think I did that. But we give up way too early. And Daisy, if you'll come. We give up too early. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James. Now this is the other James, the one who wrote the book of James. There's two James, half-brother of Jesus. Same dad, same mama, different daddy. You got me there? Jesus' daddy was God, and, and James is actually, his dad was Joseph. You get that? So go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. He was on the hideout. He was like uh, Kimball. You know, he was a fugitive. So then, as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded they should be put to death. I told you, you don't play with Herod Agrippa. And when he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Peter kept knocking at the door. He continued to knock. Friends, I believe that many of us just give up way too early, man. It's like we're right there at the place where God wants to do something in our life. And because of hurt, because of hardship, because of different things that come at us, we just give up. And we're right there at breakthrough. It's that next application you're going to find that job. It's that next relationship that God had for you that is going to be the one that's going to be blessed for you. It's the, it's the next around the corner. And I've often heard this said, the bend in the road is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. And a lot of us just give up, man. We give up on people changing. It may get worse before it gets better. You're praying for that spouse or that parent like I am and he continues to drink more and more and more and alcoholism pervades his life. You're like, Lord, will you ever do it? It may get worse before it gets better. We give up on believing for healing because we haven't seen change. I've been, I'm diagnosed with this, this illness or disease and you, you go with it and you're like, man, I just don't know if I ever see God heal me. I don't know if I ever see that happen. Don't, don't, don't give up. We believe on change for our marriage and we give up and believing for that because we feel stuck and it's like I don't think that this numb skull will ever change he's you know men are numb anyway and we're not the smartest ones out there and so women be patient with us but you know men don't give up on your wife a lot of times we just give up right before breakthroughs getting ready to happen I'm telling you something there's a pastor and he was in Louisiana his church ran a hundred for ten years. He actually came, it was under John Maxwell, if you guys know him, leadership guru. And Larry Stockstill, you may know the name, he said, man, my church ran a hundred people for ten years. And I got ready, to, I called and I said, I, I'm ready to give up. I'm getting ready to shut the doors next week. We can't make any movement. We're not seeing anything happen. I think it's over with. He said, um, 
I think it's time to quit. And his mentor said this. He said, can you borrow my faith for a few minutes? I don't think you have any right now, but just borrow mine. Now, sometimes you can do that with your friends. Just borrow my faith. He said, don't give up, man. He says, borrow my faith. Continue to press on. The church runs into thousands a day and does a great outreach for its community. There's so many times that we give up way too early. I'm going to tell you something. There was a lady in the Gospel of Luke called the Persistent Widow. It says that she was brought before the judge and she kept going back to the judge and going back to the judge and going back to the judge and would not quit and eventually he granted what she requests because she would not quit. See, there's a persistence in our lives, guys. There's a persistence that has to be there if you're going to see God's blessing happen. And you've heard me say this before. Don't close the book halfway through it. Some of you are halfway through your, your, your marriage. You're halfway through your, your, your life. You're halfway through and you're like, man, I don't like this. When you watch a movie, if you stopped halfway through, how satisfying would that be? It's like I watched a movie last night and, and you know, right at the half point is where all the climax hits. It's like the, the enemy, you know, steals this and he's winning and all that's bad. And what if I was like, man, this is stupid, man. The enemy's winning. Protagonist didn't do anything. Antagonist has got it all together. I'm, I'm done. I'm cutting this movie off. This is ridiculous. You, got, you guys would be like, Kevin, you're a fool, man. What? You stopped the movie? The good guy wins at the end. You didn't know that? You didn't keep watching it? No, I stopped. See, in the same thing in your life, you need to realize if you quit halfway through the book, you're never going to see God work things out in your life. Don't stop halfway through the book. Continue to press on. I'm going to close with this. George Mueller, who I, I dearly love reading his writings. I have his testimony that I'm reading right now. He said that he prayed for four of his friends. He said his first friend got saved a few months after you know, he started praying for him. That was really awesome. He said another friend got saved a few years after he prayed for him. He said it took 12 years for his third friend. Now some of y'all be like, man, 12 years? I ain't praying 12 years for anybody. But his final friend, it took over 52 years of prayer. And his friend did not come to know the Lord until after George Mueller had died. Persistence, man. He did not give up. And I'm just here today to tell you this. Don't shut the door on God's blessing for your life. I don't know what you're in the middle of right now. And you're like, Lord, I don't know what to face. And this all seems so crazy. And it seems like I'm never going to win. I'm never going to make it. And it's never going to happen. But don't shut the door on God's blessing for your life. Don't do it. If you will, bow your head and close your eyes in here today. And you do that a reverence for God. But as your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, I just want to you take a second right now 